Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features. Get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book free to choose. In the 19th century, under the dominance of the market economic system, America experienced rapid economic development through market liberalism. During the 1930s, after the Great Depression affected their confidence in the market economy, the American people held great concern for the future. In 1933, Franklin Roosevelt was sworn in as a president and carried out his famous New Deal programs. The deal included insurance plans for natural and man-made disasters, as well as temporary plans such as creating employment and providing relief directly to the poor through the federal government. In 1936, Keynes published his epic-making book The General Theory of Employment, Interest and Money. He advocated that the government should act as a rational economic man in order to overcome market failure. During the Second World War, the government even set budgets. This started an unprecedented control over all aspects of economic life. In light of the New Deal, the public increasingly began to accept government intervention. However, with the expanding scale of government intervention, economic efficiency was constantly decreasing instead of steadily increasing as was anticipated by the Keynesians. People started to question, does government intervention really promote social prosperity and improve social welfare? Does it bring damage? This book free to choose will answer these questions for you. The authors of this book are Milton Friedman and his wife Rose D. Friedman. Milton Friedman, a famous American economist, once served as an advisor to the Treasury Department during the Roosevelt administration, assisting in the implementation of Keynesian taxation policies. But later, he sided against Keynes and opposed government intervention. He served as an economics professor at the University of Chicago for 30 years, shaping the Department of Economics into a cohesive and complete economic school, advocating free markets and countering Keynesianism. In 1976 and 1988, Friedman was awarded the Nobel Prize for Economics, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and the National Medal of Science. His wife Rose D. Friedman is also an economist. Free to Choose first published in 1980 was hailed as one of the most popular economics books ever written. With more than a million copies sold worldwide, it is one of a few economics books that uses simple language and riveting cases to explain its content. Although it was written many years ago, it is still a useful reference for modern societies. We will unlock this book in three parts. Part 1, How the Free Market Works. Part 2, The Harm and Impact of Excessive Government Intervention in Different Fields. Part 3, Eliminating the Obstacles that Prevent the Free Market from Working Effectively. Let's first take a look at Part 1, How the Free Market Works. Generally speaking, the free market was established when bartering first appeared. Have you ever wondered how goods and services which satisfy our basic needs come to us? Or how the price of goods and services is determined? Friedman tells us the answer through the story of a pencil. To make a pencil, first, you need a cedar tree which grows in Northern California and Oregon. People cut it down to get logs, which are transported to a wood processing plant to produce slats, and then shipped from California to Wilkes-Barre, North Carolina where pencils are then made. So far, 
we've only produced the wooden part of the pencil. To make an entire pencil, we also need the writing core lead, made of graphite from Salon, now Sri Lanka, and the eraser. The eraser is a product of a chemical reaction between sulfur chloride and rapeseed oil from the Dutch East Indies, now Indonesia. Apart from that, each link requires different kinds of tools and a variety of techniques. For example, as a lumberjack needs tools, someone needs to mine the ore and make iron and steel, which are then used to produce a saw, an axe, and an engine. Workers need accommodation and canteens, so there needs to be someone building houses and preparing meals. Each link involves countless efforts which we do not immediately see. Tens of thousands of individuals participate in making pencils, not because they want pencils themselves, but because they need to earn income through labor in exchange for the goods and services they want. On the other end, those who need a pencil then exchange their income for a pencil. This may surprise many. A product from the manufacturing of its raw materials to being sold on the market, involves labor that might come from different parts of the world. The workers speak different languages, believe in different religions, and even might be hostile to each other. Still, none of this stops them from working together to produce a pencil. What is more surprising is that during the whole process, no one sitting in a central office gave orders to these thousands of people. This is the way Friedman introduces the way in which a free market operates, people cooperating through voluntary exchange. As early as around 200 years ago, Adam Smith stated in The Wealth of Nations, if an exchange is voluntary, it will not occur unless both parties believe they can benefit from it. And the basis of an exchange is the price system in a free market, which coordinates people's activities. Society will flourish when each individual pursues their interest and improves their life in various ways. So how does the price system work? Friedman says, in conducting an economic activity, the price system has three functions. First, transmitting information. Second, providing incentive. Third, distributing income. Now let's introduce these three functions. To understand the first function of transmitting information, let's go back at the story of the pencil. If a forest fire causes timber to decrease, then the price of wood will increase. Pencil manufacturers realize that maintaining the previous output is not sensible, unless the pencil's price is higher than before. Due to the fire, the demand for the pencil starts to thus exceed the supply, making the price rise. Consumers who do not want to spend more money, either use pencils as much as possible before discarding them, or simply switch to using a mechanical pencil. Thus, consumers do not need to know why pencils become more expensive. Only knowing the price increase is enough to guide their economic behavior. This is how the transmitting of information function works. Now let's look at the second function of the price system, providing incentive. Generally speaking, to improve the output of wood, we need to hire more workers or go to a more remote area for logging. Thus, the logging camp has to offer higher wages, making the cost correspondingly higher. But when the market demands more wood, the price of timber will rise. This gives an incentive to wood producers to increase their output. Meanwhile, it incentivizes them to adopt more efficient production methods to reduce costs and obtain more profits. On the other hand, an increase in the price of wood will lead to an increase in pencil price, 
incentivizing consumers to use pencils more economically. This is how the price change provides incentive to producers and consumers. Finally, let's take a look at the third function of the price system, distributing income. The net profit of the manufacturer for selling pencils is the revenue left after subtracting wages, rent, and other production factors. Therefore, the manufacturer's revenue is determined by the factors of production they own and the market price of the factors of production. And for the workers, their income depends on the price of their labor. This is how price determines income. The amount of income will affect people's decisions and choices. For example, a lumberjack sells labor. When the demand for labor increases and the price of labor rises, the resulting price will play the role of an incentive mentioned previously, encouraging more young people to become lumberjacks. Here, we can find out how price affects people's decisions by affecting incomes. But when the number of workers becomes too large, and the supply exceeds the demand, the price of labor will thus drop again, prompting some workers to leave the industry. These are the three functions of the price system, transmitting information, providing incentive, and distributing income. In a free market, people can exchange voluntarily and cooperate with each other. Now that we understand the function of the price system in a free market and how pricing works, let's talk about what role the government should play in a free market. Based on Adam Smith's ideas, Friedman came up with four duties of the government. First, the duty of protecting the society from the violence and invasion of other independent societies. Second, the duty of establishing an exact administration of justice, protecting individuals from the infringement and oppression of others. Third, the duty of erecting and maintaining certain public works and certain public institutions. Fourth, the duty to protect members of the community who cannot be regarded as responsible individuals, such as children. The existence of the first two duties is to protect individuals in society from coercion by others. Without it, in the true sense, there would not be free choice. If someone put a gun to your head and asked whether you prized your money or your life, you obviously wouldn't be choosing freely. Therefore, it is necessary for the government to establish an army, a police, and provide an administration of justice to prevent such coercion from happening. The third duty of erecting and maintaining certain public works and public institutions exists mainly to tackle issues that are not profitable for individuals, but beneficial to society. To take one simple example suggested directly by Smith's description of the third duty, city streets and general access highways could be provided by private voluntary exchange, the costs being paid for by charging tolls. But the costs of collecting the tolls would often be very large compared to the cost of building and maintaining the streets or highways. This is a public work that it might not be for the interest of any individual to erect and maintain though it might be worthwhile for a great society. Regarding the fourth duty, parents should be responsible for children who cannot be held accountable for themselves. Still, parents do not have the full right to dispose their children at their discretion. Government intervention is needed when parents are found at fault, such as when beating or killing their children. In a free market, the government also takes part in voluntary collaboration. Here, people protect their rights to choose freely by supporting a limited government. These are the four duties Friedman proposed that the government should carry out in a free market. Now let's take a look at real life. 
If the government's responsibilities are limited to these four duties, without excessive intervention in the economy and society, will it be more beneficial in realizing social prosperity and improving social welfare? Friedman lists several examples. He discusses a few cases, such as Hong Kong, Japan in the 19th century, the United Kingdom, and the United States, which made tremendous achievements under limited government. Now, let's compare the 30 years after India's independence in 1947, and the 30 years after the Meiji Restoration in Japan in 1867 to see how the free market system affected the market and social welfare. The reason that Friedman compared these two countries in different periods is that what India and Japan went through was quite similar. The feudal society of Japan and the caste system in India both highly structured the populations of these countries, and at the same time, they also both subsequently experienced significant political changes. Both leaders were determined to change the situation of their economic stagnation and build a strong country. The difference is that India achieved great economic growth before the First World War, while Japan was almost completely isolated from the rest of the world before the Meiji Restoration. As a colony of the United Kingdom, India had more well-trained public sector workers, modern factories, and a high-quality railway system. But these did not exist in Japan. India's natural resources were superior to those of Japan, which relied on the ocean. India had been receiving international assistance, while Japan only counted on itself. Given these differences India had a clear advantage over Japan. It was believed that after independence, India would achieve rapid development. But it turned out that the economy stagnated, there were as many taxes as there were hairs on an ox, and illegal activities such as tax evasion and smuggling were rampant. But Japan was the opposite. What was the reason for this? Friedman believes the reason is that Japan broke down the feudal order and relied on the free market in order to unleash its dynamism and creativity. Although Japan's government also intervened in economic affairs, it never tried to control the total output, investment direction, or output structure. Moreover, the government stopped the privileged class from thwarting institutional reform. On the contrary, the Indian government relied on central economic planning. It implemented Soviet-style five-year plans, restricted the free development of various fields, and protected those with vested interests from being affected. This eventually led to economic inefficiency and economic privilege, with national creativity being also severely dampened. Although the two leaders had the same goal, their adopted policies were different, which caused completely different results. Friedman tells us through this example that only when the government plays a limited role in maintaining the free market, can a country inspire national creativity, increase market efficiency, and improve social welfare. That's all for the first part of this bookie about how the free market works. Let's summarize. The free market is established based on all parties' voluntary exchange, relying on the price mechanism to boost collaborative development in various fields. The government also takes part in voluntary collaboration with the people. An ideal government should carry out its four basic duties to help its people engage in free choice. Compared to a planned economy, the free market system can inspire people's creativity, promote market prosperity, and improve social welfare. Today we are just sharing limited content. 
To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app. Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.